I, I don't know if it's because I uh, teach so much or what, but I, do, do you guys spend much time looking back at your life and like remembering, you know, reflecting and remembering, uh, you know, just different things, the good times, the bad times, the wonderful times, the tough times, all that. I, I, Maybe because I teach so much, I do this a lot. But this week I was thinking about things that scared me growing up. And and like I look at my life now and I'm, I'm not, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm afraid of a lot of things. Maybe as you get older, you know, you, some of those fears change. But it was funny for me to like remember back at some of the things that frightened me as a kid. So I remember, I, don't even, I was probably my son's age, I was probably 10, 11 years old, and we were at my uncle's house. My uncle lives in Barberton. And um, we had some sort of family function. It was right around Halloween time, and I had never been to a haunted house before. And all the kids, all my like siblings and the cousins wanted to go to a haunted house, but I was terrified. Like, I was so scared to go, but I didn't want anybody to know that I was scared, and so I acted like I was just too cool to go to it, you know, like, oh, no, those are for little kids. We're not going to a haunted house. Really, I was, I didn't know what to expect. It was unknown to me, and I was afraid. I remember when I was in middle school, I went to, uh, with a friend, to like a party or a dance or something like that, and everybody was having a great time because they were dancing except me because I didn't know how to dance, and I was afraid to go out there and try because I didn't want to make myself look like a fool and embarrass myself in front of other people. I remember when I was a kid, not, and probably a lot of you experienced this too, like not wanting to have it, my hands or legs off the side of my bed because I knew if I did, the monster that lived under them was going to grab them, right? Like vividly, I have these memories. I remember, and this, this was hard, this, this held me back in so many ways. I remember being afraid to try new things uh, lots of times as a kid because I didn't know if I'd be good at them or not. And I was afraid that I would be a failure in those things. I remember having dreams like nightmares. We all have nightmares at some point. But I remember having nightmares that God was going to come back and he was going to uh, destroy the world and he was going to destroy me with it. Like I remember having these vivid dreams. I remember... This one was more recently, um, 11 years ago, a little over 11 years ago, when my son was born, our first child was born, and being so excited, and then in the very next moment, being absolutely terrified because the doctors are rushing into the room because they couldn't get my wife to stop bleeding. And I was afraid, I was terrified that I was going to lose her. Fear. It's not a fun feeling that we can feel right? It's one of those feelings that, that we all hate across the board. No one, genuine fear. No one likes to be afraid. And it's interesting, just thinking through some of this stuff. Again, I don't consider myself somebody, especially now, who is frightened by a lot of things. But it's interesting when I stop and think about the things that actually do kind of scare me still, the list gets really long. And the breadth and the diversity of things that frighten us is crazy. I started making a list. My list just kept getting longer. Loss, like how many of us fear loss in life? Pain and suffering and sickness, how many of us fear that? Things like, silly things like heights. We were talking to some people that went to the Grand Canyon, right? Talking about heights, that can be a terrifying thing for people. Um, Monsters or animals, my wife fears snakes, right? I've had a lot of fun with that over the years of being married. Rubber snakes can be great. Uh, Things like, Failure, loneliness, embarrassment, judgment, like all of these are things that 
maybe we don't think about, but man, they can bring us a lot of fear. And one of the more frustrating things for me as I think about fear is that sometimes I can't really stop it from happening, right? Like as our son is being born and I'm so excited and then all of a sudden everybody rushes into the room and I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my wife. It's like I can't control that. It just comes on me, right? It's like, it's like this, this fear that barges in the room and grabs hold of my heart. There's nothing I can do about it. And then there's other times with fear that I feel like I could kind of control it. You know, like my fear of failure, for example. You know, like I could... We can kind of control that. I can make a decision if I'm going to, to live in that or not live in that. And I think in my mind, I think, no, 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 we sh I shouldn't fear. I should trust. I should trust God. And then we still struggle with it. And then what happens? Fear's friend, guilt, walks in the room. And you're like, ah, I feel guilty. I know I shouldn't fear. I know I should trust. I feel guilty. You know why I feel guilty? Because I know what the Bible says about fear. The Bible says things like this. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. It says things like this. This is Jesus talking in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 118, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Pretty, pretty clear, right? What the Bible says about fear. So we've been in this series, we started a couple weeks ago, um, talking about feelings. Guys love this series because we love to talk about our feelings. But we've been in this series called The Feelings That We Feel. And, and during this series, we're doing really what the title says. We're just kind of talking about the different feelings and emotions that we feel as human beings. And we have this, this incredible spectrum of, of human emotions that each of us can feel and each of us can experience. And some of them are really good. Like some of them are feelings that we really like to feel. Like, who doesn't like to be joyous? We all do. Who doesn't like to be excited, to have great anticipation for things? Who doesn't like love? Like, we all like those feelings, right? But then we don't like, there's other feelings that we don't really like, right? They're, they're, they're uh, less pleasurable. They're less good to us. Feelings like pain and struggle and anger and sadness and remorse. And sometimes when we feel those feelings, we can want to cut them off, you know? We can want to cut them shorter or like sterilize them or push them way, way down so that we don't feel them anymore when really they're still there. Or we could try to medicate those feelings, right? We go, I don't want to feel this anymore. And we can do it with a prescription. We can do it with drugs. We can do it with alcohol. We can do it with pleasure seeking. We can do it with distraction. We can do it in a lot of different ways instead of just feeling those feelings appropriately. And so we said, could it be possible that there are times when the best feeling for us to feel is sadness? Could there be times when the best feeling for us to feel is anger? Could there be times when the best feeling for us to feel is hurt or jealousy or disgust? And maybe each of our feelings, even, even the less pleasant ones, are actually a gift from God d designed by him on purpose for us. 
And so in this series, we said kind of the big point of this series is this. We said emotions and feelings are a gift from God that he uses to help us navigate life and experience life to the fullest. Every one of them are a gift from God meant to help us navigate life and live life to the fullest. And it was interesting uh, over the last couple of weeks in our grace group, and actually some, some of the others that I've talked about as well, talking about this thing going, I don't know, I don't know. Are all the feelings really a gift from God? It seems like some of those feelings are not really a gift from God. And I really challenge you to, to, to like think deeply about that and pray through that. Even like we can distort them, you know, we can twist those feelings. We could express them inappropriately at inappropriate times. But man, the more and more that I think about them, I think that each of the feelings that we feel, even the hard ones, even the ones where we might express in a sinful way are actually a gift from God with a purpose. We're actually talk about this a little bit later. And we said, if we would invite God into our feelings and into our emotions, he can use them in a powerful way in our lives. He could use them to bless us. He could use them to refine us. He could use them when we invite him in, especially into the more painful ones, he could use them to move us forward because sometimes we can get stuck in some of our feelings, right? Especially the more painful ones. And he can use them to draw us closer to him. So two weeks ago when we started the series, uh, we talked about some good feelings. We talked about uh, excitement. We talked about anticipation. Last week, Pastor Jonathan from the Norton campus, I thought he did a masterful job talking about anger and what anger is and what it looks like for us to express anger appropriately and inappropriately. I thought it was so good. I encourage you, if you missed it, to check it out online. And then this morning, we're going to talk about fear. So if, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, one of the things that we talked about, go to that next slide. One of the things that we talked about is a guy named Robert Plutchik, who was a, a psychologist, a secular psychologist, evolutionary psychologist. And he talks about this wheel of emotions. And I, I thought it was fascinating. And he would say that human beings have only eight primary emotions. Eight primary emotions. So he would say they're trust, fear, surprise, sadness, disgust, anger, anticipation and joy. He says human beings, those are the eight primary emotions that we feel. And then on this wheel that he created, he said across the wheel are opposite emotions. So we feel surprise, the opposite of surprise is anticipation. We feel joy, the opposite of joy is sadness. And he would say that all of the other emotions that we feel are a result of a degree or intensity uh, of one of these primary ones. So like uh, trust, Deep trust is admiration. A little bit of trust is acceptance. Joy, deep joy is ecstasy. A little bit of joy is serenity. You would say all the other emotions are a result of a degree or intensity of one of the primary or a combination of two or more of the primary. So we have trust and joy. You smush those together and you get love, right? And it's interesting, when you look at fear, what we're gonna talk about today he would say that intense fear is terror. And he would say a little bit of fear is apprehension. And I think about those and I think, I'll bet all of us in this room at one time or another have experienced each of those things. We experience fear, sometimes a little bit. We're apprehensive with things. Sometimes we are absolutely terrified. And so this morning, I'm excited to dig into some of this. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's like 
real and raw and you have like real people doing real things like with real emotions with real feelings having real experiences and the bible i love this it doesn't sugarcoat these things you know it doesn't like smooth over the rough edges so many times in the in the biblical stories you have a person who experiences things and it's just written about like here it is for better or for worse here it is and what i want to look at today is one of the guys that probably, if, we, if you know your Bible, you would say, man, this guy was like one of the most godly men who ever lived. He's somebody that God used in incredible ways, incredible ways. And yet this is a guy who also experienced great fear. In fact, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say what he experienced was terror. And so we're going to look at that today. Okay, so if you've got a Bible, why don't you grab it, flip it open to 1 Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19, and we're going to look at Elijah. Elijah. So as you're flipping there, we're kind of jumping into um, to the middle of a story here. I want to give you a little bit of background because the background, especially for what we're going to talk about today, is very, very important. What happened right before where we're going to jump in is really important. So you have a guy um, named Ahab, right? Ahab was the king of Israel at that time. And Ahab was a pretty rotten person. Like he, he was not a very good king. Uh, he didn't follow God. He didn't uh, care about God. He was selfish. He was wicked. He was a murderer king. That's who Ahab was. One of the worst kings, maybe the worst, in the history of Israel. Rotten guy. And he had a wife named Jezebel. And Jezebel's wife may have been worse than him. Like a, a terrible terrible individual, okay? So you have Ahab and Jezebel, and then you have this guy named Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet of God. In fact, he's one of the greatest prophets of God that we see in the Bible. So he was a guy that loved God and listened to God, and God spoke to him, and Elijah was God's mouthpiece to Israel, especially to Ahab, to the king, okay? And so God spoke to Elijah at some point and said, um, tell Ahab it's not going to rain in, the, in Israel for a long, long time. And so God, through Elijah, makes it not rain in Israel literally for years because Israel is wicked at this time. So this is God's chosen people, and yet they weren't choosing him. So they were really against, uh, they were against God. And so God brings drought, God brings famine, he brings poverty, he brings death. All this is sort of accumulating over the years. And of course, Ahab would look at this, and he, instead of blaming God, because he doesn't really care about God, he blames Elijah. And so he hates Elijah. And what he does, actually, he starts sending out search parties. Elijah has to kind of go into hiding, because Ahab is sending out search parties to find him and kill him and annihilate him. And so eventually, God speaks to Elijah and says, I want, this is what it says at the beginning of chapter 18. He says, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. And I want you to just put yourself in Elijah's shoes and all this. Go present yourself to the, guy, to the king who's trying to kill you. Okay, go tell him who wants to murder you that I'm going to bring rain in the land. So Elijah does it. He trusts God. He trusts that God's going to protect him. And so he goes to Ahab. Ahab, of course, isn't happy to see him, but he tells Ahab that he's going to send rain. God is going to send rain to the land. And then he talks to the Israelites, so this rebellious people, right? And he says to them, essentially he says to them, listen, you got to choose today who you're going to follow. 
Are you going to follow God, Yahweh, or are you going to follow these false gods that you've been following? They were following these two gods named Baal and Asherah. And so Elijah's like, listen, decide today who you're going to follow. Do you believe God is the true God or do you believe Baal's the true God? right? And so Elijah goes to Ahab and he says, round up all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah because we're going to have a big showdown with them. And we are going to see which God has actually got it. I really encourage you. This is one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. God does phenomenal things. That's actually kind of funny. Elijah kind of taunts these prophets. really encourage you to read it. First, First Kings chapter 18. So to make a long story short, they have this showdown, and God shows up in an incredible way. He proves that he's God in a supernatural way by sending down fire from heaven in front of all the people, proving that he is the powerful God of the universe and that Baal and Asherah are nothing. And the people see this. So this rebellious people that are not following God, they see it, and they're like, oh man, we got this wrong. We've had this wrong for a long time. And it says they fall to the ground, prostrate before the Lord. And they say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They're like, oh, we got it wrong. The Lord is God, not Baal, not Asherah. And so Elijah says, all right, round up all these prophets. So he's the only prophet of God, right? You have all these 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Okay, so 850 of these false prophets. After God does this, uh, Elijah says, round them all up and kill them. Because these are people that lied. These are people that deceived. These are people that tried to pull the Israelites over and over and over again away from the God of the universe to follow these gods that are not gods at all. And so they do. They kill all of them. And then God says to Elijah, now pray for rain. And he does. And, it, and it's, it's, it's a really cool story. He's like, prays, and then he sends his servant. He says, go out and look. Are there any clouds? Servant goes, no cloud yet. Comes back, prays a little bit more. Go look again. Any clouds? No clouds yet. Comes back, prays again. Go look. Are there any clouds? I see one little tiny one really far off in the distance. And he's like, get ready, because it's going to rain. And, and it's interesting. He tucks, it says, the spirit of the Lord comes on him. He tucks his, uh, what do you call that? It's not a dress. It's not a robe, whatever it is. He tucks it into his belt and he runs all the way back to a place called Jezreel. So Ahab the king goes back to Jezreel where his, uh, his kingdom is, where his wife is, Jezebel, and Ahab literally runs the whole way. So this is the scene, okay? Very important. I want you to feel this. This is kind of the spiritual high that Elijah is coming off of. He has just gotten a chance to see God do absolutely supernatural, amazing things. Things that you and I would look at and we would go, wow, only God could do that. I just saw fire come down from heaven and destroy everything. God is powerful. And then even more than that, God uses Elijah to do it. So this is what Elijah feels. He's probably tired by this point, right? We're going to pick up right after this. He just hauled it back. He just had this very emotional, spiritual experience. He's probably tired, but imagine the emotional high that he's on. Then we get to chapter 19. This is what it says. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So again, Jezebel is Ahab's wife. That's the queen. How he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. 
And it says, Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. So, so put yourself in Elijah's shoes. He had just experienced God doing something undeniably supernatural, miraculous, in the most personal way possible through him. And now he was terribly afraid. I don't think it's an overstatement to say he was terrified. Ahab's wife, by all accounts, Ahab's wife Jezebel was a ruthless, ruthless, heartless, terrifying person. And at this moment, Elijah is feeling every bit of the terror that she emotes. Why is that? Think about it. Why all of a sudden, after all God did, is Elijah terrified? Well, let me explain it this way. Let me see if I can help us understand this one. Let's do a little exercise. It'll be a fun exercise. I need all of you, all of you to do it. Will you do it? Nod your head. Interactions, good, okay. So grab a pen. There's, there should be a little pen in front of you and the seat back's in front of you. Grab a pen. You got a program when you came in. On the back of your program is a bunch of white space, okay? Pull that out. Here's what I'm gonna have you do. I have a one minute, it's 60 seconds long, sound clip for you, okay? And it's a whole bunch of different sounds. And during that one minute, during those 60 seconds, I want you to write down everything you hear. Okay? It's a bunch of different crazy stuff. I want you to write down everything you hear during those 60 seconds. You do it? You ready? All right, here we go. Play it. good writing. Uh, keep your hand up if you got 15 things or more. How about, did anybody get more than 20 things written down? Raise your hand. Impressive. Atta boy, Ben. <laughs> I won't check your work to make sure they're actually like legit things. Your reward is my respect. Here's a question for you though. And for all of us, did anybody write down any of the 75, 80 different beating hearts that were making noises during that time? You could actually hear, do you know that? You, if, if it's very quiet, we're undistracted, we could actually hear and, of course, feel our heartbeat. No? Maybe our hearing's not good enough for that. How about this? Did anybody write down, hear and write down, any of the 75 lungs that were breathing, mouths that were breathing, 
We're not all mouth breathers, noses that we're breathing. Nobody, isn't that interesting? And yet, those are the two most critical sounds, the two most important sounds going on in this room at any time, right? If those aren't happening, none of this is happening, right? Why couldn't any of us hear either of those two sounds? Why is that? It's too much noise, right? Like there's, there's too much stuff going on. There's too many things that were too loud for us to hear those noises. We are too distracted by those things, right? Go, go back to Elijah. Think of the noise going on in Elijah's life at that point, at the point that our story picks up. Think about the distractions that are going on in Elijah's life. Like physically think about the noise. He was exhausted. You know, like think about the stress that he would have felt through that whole endeavor. Think about how tired he was, like literally hauling it back to Jezreel. Like that guy would have been, he would have had a lot of physical noise beating down the door of his life, right? How about emotionally? He would have been emotionally exhausted. How about spiritually? Man, he would have been spiritually tired through that whole endeavor, he was lonely. A little bit later in here we read that he, he says, I'm the only prophet left, God. I'm the only one left. He feels all alone. He would have been surprised. Like, again, put yourself in his shoes. He just saw God do amazing things. The Israelites that see it, they, they go face down to the ground. They're like, the Lord, he's God. The Lord, he's God. He runs out. Ahab sees all this. He goes back. You must think in his heart, like, man, things are going to change. This evil king and queen are going to see that God is God and things are going to change. And he gets back and what happens? Jezebel, she's ticked. And she chases him to take his life. Like imagine the noise that he's feeling and how the noise caused him to miss the most important thing. Guys, here's what I think that we see. Excessive noise invites fear. Excessive noise in our lives invites fear. What's happening to Elijah? Man, he's got all kinds of noise happening, right? He's got all kinds of things that are, that are like clouding his perspective, that are, that are vying for his attention. It was so noisy and it was overwhelming. And that noise was terrifying. He was afraid. Let me ask you a question. What kind of noise is in your life? Like, what do you got going on in your life as you walked in here today? By the way, when you walk in here, you know, like, no one in here is perfect. We all got issues. We all got baggage. We all got stuff going on in our lives. What kind of noise you got going on in your life when you come in here? Is it, how loud is it? Is the noise getting louder than the voice of God in your life? Sometimes it can get so loud, we stop hearing God. And it becomes very scary. That's what Elijah's feeling. Look, look back at our passage. Look back at verse 3. I want you to see this. So he says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he was, he was so afraid, he didn't even take his servant with him. He left him, and then he went even deeper into the nothingness, into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. That sounds a whole lot to me like depression. 
one of the things that's often mingled with fear, right? All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey, for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. Let me, let's stop right there. Let me ask you. So there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about in that passage. Let me, let me highlight one thing. How did God respond to Elijah in his fear? Was God disappointed in him? Was God angry with him? Was, was he frustrated with him? No, none of those things. How did God respond to him? Gentle, right? He was gentle with them. Our father is gentle when his children are frightened. That's how God acts with us. Just, just like if you're a parent and you sit here, think about this. When, when I, so I have two kids, my son or daughter. Sometimes they have bad dreams, particularly my daughter. She comes in in the middle of the night and she's terrified. She's had a terrible dream. How are we as parents going to treat our kids in that situation? Are we going to look at them and go, suck it up, get back into your room, grow up? No, I hope not. We're going to wrap our arms around them and say, it's okay. Right, we're going to soothe them. We're going to care for them. It's exactly how God responds to Elijah. It's beautiful. Elijah is so afraid. He's exhausted. He's running away. He asks God to take his life. Just take my life. I'm done. I'm just as bad as my ancestors who didn't trust you. How does God respond? Gentleness. He sends an angel to him to touch him, to strengthen him, not once, but twice. As listen, when we make God our Father through trusting in his son, Jesus, he is gentle with us. He is close to us when we're afraid, when we're hurting, when we're struggling. And, and it's interesting, go back to Elijah, you think about him, you think, did he have any reason to fear? Like, really? Not, not really. Like, I know that a powerful, evil queen is chasing him to try to kill him. I get that, right? But God just, I mean, just shortly before that, an evil king was trying to kill him. And God said, go to him. And he did. He trusted God, right? God was his protector. He was his provider. But even in his fear, God was there for him. He was gentle with him. He was giving him what he needed to move through his fear. Just so important for us to remember. Let, let's go on because I want you to see this. Look, look back at verse 9. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah. What are you doing here? Elijah, which is, is another, we saw this last week, Pastor Jonathan talked about this. God asks a question to somebody, not because God doesn't know the answer. Of course, God knows the answer to his question, but he wants the person he's asking the question to, to come to the answer, to discover the answer. And so he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, they've torn down your altars, and they put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So much noise, right? Like so much noise going on in Elijah's life. But watch what God does. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Just imagine you're Elijah in this moment. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, 
and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Guys, let me ask you a question. Why do you think God did this with Elijah? Like what? Put yourself in his shoes. What do you think God was trying to show Elijah through this experience? Like what was the significance of speaking to Elijah in a gentle whisper? Remember all of the noise going on in Elijah's life. So much. It was so loud. It was so scary. Why would God do it this way? I think part of it, I think part of it is he was showing Elijah his power, you know, and, and the, the mighty winds that are ripping the rocks apart, the earthquake that's shaking everything, the scorching fire. He's showing, I think, Elijah that he's powerful. But much more than that, I think he's showing Elijah that his presence and his strength is found in the stillness, in the quietness amidst all of the noise of our life. And guys, we all have it, right? We all have so much vying for our attention. I'll bet every single one of us in here, either us personally experiencing it or someone that we love is going through hard, hard times and we feel it and it can consume us. It can consume everything. What's God showing Elijah? My presence and my power is found in the quietness, in the stillness. Even as you're going through all of the chaos, it says in Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. It says in Exodus 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. It says in Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So, let, so let's, let, me, let me end this way. Let me end by just talking about a few things. That ju- as I look at this story and I think about fear and what the Bible says about fear, what I experience with fear, what Elijah's experience with fear, there's a few things that jump out to me here. We already said excessive noise invites fear. And I believe that that's true. I'd add to it this. Fear comes when we listen to the wrong things. Fear comes when we listen to the, long, to the wrong things. We can have so much noise going on in our lives, and if we're not careful, all we hear is the noise, and it's overwhelming to us, and it drowns out the voice of God. And when that happens, fear steps in as an uninvited guest because we see the chaos, we feel the chaos, and God's voice gets pushed down quiet, just like the heartbeats that none of us heard just like the breathing that none of us heard. But, we said this earlier, God is so gentle with us when we fear. I don't think we have to fear and go, oh, now I feel guilty too, because I know I'm not supposed to do it. Man, God is a gentle God. When we're hurting, when we're struggling, he wraps his arms around us. He doesn't want us to fear. Again, Jesus said in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. He doesn't want us to fear. When we do, he's gentle with us, a gentle, loving father. But here's what I know, and and I think some of us probably need to hear this this morning. 
God is bigger than anything I fear. God is bigger than anything I fear. See, sometimes we can know that in our heads. Like we go, yeah, I know. God, he's the God of the universe. He made everything. He's all powerful. He's bigger than, I get that in my head. But man, when we're in the moment, we forget. Guys, listen, God is bigger. Jesus is bigger. The Holy Spirit, if you love Jesus, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. The Spirit of God living inside of us is bigger than anything that we could experience in this life. Even, even if God's plan for us is to walk through some things that are pretty scary, which sometimes it is. Right, let's be honest about that. Sometimes the thing that we're fearing is actually what God desires that we walk through. And that can be scary. But when we invite Jesus into that, when we invite him into those fears, what does he do? He gives us strength. He gives us courage. He walks with us through it so that we don't need to fear. He's done it with so many people over and over and over again. How many people do you know in your life that love Jesus and they have to walk through terrible stuff and yet they do it with hope and they do it with confidence and they do it with trust? That comes from the Lord. I, I love how Hebrews 13 says it. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Why won't I be afraid? Because the Lord's my helper. The Lord's with me. He's bigger than anything that I fear. And I'll say this too. Fear reminds us of our need for God. That, that like, I, I wish we could get to the point. I wish I could get to the point. I don't say this like I got this all figured out. I wish I could get to the point where when I feel fear well up inside of me, it's like a trigger that I go, okay, I feel it. Here it comes. I need to lean into Jesus tighter. Yeah, I, I feel it. I'm getting nervous about something. I'm worrying about something. I feel this fear bubbling up inside of me. I need to lean into the Father more. See, this is, this, by the way, is some of the value of these negative feelings that we feel, right? When we go, yeah, I'm fearing. I know I don't need to fear at this. I know I'm not supposed to fear, but I'm fearing. What's the value of that? It reminds us to invite God into those feelings. It reminds us how much we need him and how we're not designed to do it on our own. Imagine, imagine how our lives would change if when we first felt fear, like well up inside of us, it was a trigger that caused us to lean into God. Imagine how our lives would change when, when we start listening to his spirit speak to our spirit and wrap his arms around us. Uh, of the at least 300 times that the Bible talks about fear, that's a lot of times, one of the things it talks about an awful lot, of the at least 300 times that the Bible talks about fear, there's actually only one thing that we're told to fear. Lots of those times it says things like, do not fear, or I will not fear. There's only one thing that we're told to fear. You know what it is? It's God, right? I'm told to fear only one thing, and that's God. Deuteronomy uh, 6 says, the Lord commanded us to fear the Lord our God. Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find delight in his commands. Proverbs 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. I like this one, Psalm 128. It's a little bit longer one. It says, just think about this. Take this personally in your life. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You'll eat the fruit of your labor. Blessing and prosperity will be yours. 
Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. We can hear that. We can go, that sounds weird. I actually preached one time and somebody wrote on one of the, connect- I'm talking about fear of the Lord. Somebody wrote on the connection card and they go, I don't believe that we're supposed, to- I- I'm making up their voice. I don't know what their voice sounded like. I don't believe we're supposed to fear the Lord. You're like, it's kind of all over the place in the Bible. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, I don't fear the Lord. It's not like this negative feeling. I don't fear the Lord like he's a, a mean, angry, punishing God, like inspecting my life, just looking for a time to bring punishment and judgment on me. That's not what fear of the Lord is. Fear of the Lord actually is a good feeling. You know what it is? It's recognizing how great God is compared to how sinful and flawed I am. That, that's the fear of the Lord. I go, I, I know myself, I know my heart. And I am encountered with the God of the universe, the one who's holy and perfect and powerful and almighty, so much bigger than me, who loves me. Who loves me. That's what makes the fear of the Lord different. I'm not just encountered with his greatness and my minusculeness. I'm encountered with his greatness surrounded by his love for me. And man, when I see that, when I begin to clearly see that, it changes everything. And then, and I want you to listen closely to this, then nothing else is worthy of my fear. When I get the fear of the Lord, nothing else is worthy of my fear as a child of God. When I'm his, when I'm part of his family, nothing else I could, I could experience in life is worthy of my fear. And living my life in response to him, in response to his love, and loving him back, and living in obedience to him is the most important thing in my life. So I'm going to invite the, the band. Why don't you guys come on up? As they're coming up, I want to ask you a question. What are you afraid of? Like just, just think about it in your life. Like what, what brings apprehension to you? What brings fear to you? What brings terror to your heart? What would happen if we ask God that when we start feeling fear well up inside of us, that he would replace that fear for whatever it is we're afraid of, he would replace that with a fear for him. How do you think our lives would change if the only fear in our life was the fear of the Lord? Because we get how big and powerful he is and how much he loves us. And we recognize that nothing else is worthy of our fears.